This is the day that gives meaning to all other days. And we're very happy that you all are with us this morning. I appreciate so much. You know, the longer this the longer this situation goes on, the, the more I appreciate this privilege we have of coming together as the body of Christ. And uh, certainly today, we're experiencing Easter in a much different way than we're accustomed to. But you know, this isn't the first time. If you think back over the history of the church, there have been more days like this when Christians couldn't come together than we could possibly count, whether it was because of disease or because of the threat or hostility of their neighbors, of their government. We're getting a little bit of a taste today of what it means to serve Jesus Christ and to call ourselves by his name, even in the midst of tribulation and difficulty. So I want to thank all of you for being here this morning, all of you who joined us throughout this time, the last few weeks. I know times are difficult, but your faithfulness and more importantly, God's faithfulness, I know is going to see us through. So thank you again from the bottom of my heart. We're going to read a scripture this morning from John chapter 20. If you want to open your Bibles, I've been been given the message that Sister Esther has joined us. Would you pray over the word today? Father, we worship you and we exalt thee, O God, and we thank you, Lord, for what this day means to us. Thank you, Father, for the work of your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you, God, that as your word tells us, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit that dwells in us. We thank you, Lord. We rejoice, Father, because of the work of your Holy Spirit in each one of us and in the unity of the body of Christ. Father, I pray your anointing upon our pastor. I pray, Father, that you would infuse him with knowledge, with wisdom, with understanding, God, and open our eyes and our ears that we may be ready to receive what the Spirit has to say to the church. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Sister, for that anointed prayer. Amen, amen. John chapter 20. We're going to begin reading at verse 1. And uh, we're just going to read down to about verse 18 there. So the Bible says, Now on the first day of the week, that would be a Sunday, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. 
And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who came to the tomb first, went in also, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus then said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony of your scripture. Hallelujah. Well, good resurrection morning, everyone. I am glad you joined us today to celebrate the good news of Jesus Christ's victory over sin, death, and the grave. The witness of Mary Magdalene was the first, I think, of this quite often the very first person to hear the good news and the first person to share the good news was this precious woman to whom Jesus meant so much and to whom he had done, for whom he had done so much. Her witness would mimic and be a pattern and a standard for the witness of everyone who has come to the certain knowledge of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see her moments of confusion, her moments of doubt, her, her, her lostness that she just doesn't understand what has taken place. We should not judge her too harshly for that, for it's just a couple of days earlier she watched them nail him to a cross, saw them drive a spear into his side. Who could believe that he had recovered from such an ordeal? Who could believe she had saw them certify and confirm his death and lay him in a tomb. She'd watched them roll a stone across the mouth of that tomb that no man by himself could move. So we can 
we can kind of understand her, her confusion and, and her momentary doubts as she comes to that very early in the morning, the sun not even up yet. She has come on a mission of mercy, come with other women to prepare the body of the Lord Jesus Christ and to, and to anoint him with spices and oils as was customary for the dead. This leaves no doubt in our mind that she knew he was dead. She knew that her Lord was gone. You can hear the question in her voice, the, the, the fear, the, the loss, the heartbreak, that she was even to be denied even that one small comfort of being able to touch his body one more time, even if it was dead. She had, was in a state of grief, a state of sorrow, a state of shock. Anyone who's experienced the loss of someone they love can understand that shock that she experienced, that, 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 that seeming unreality that life takes on after the death of someone precious to us. The days are a fog. The, the nights uh, are, are just endless. It's, it's, a, it's a time of, of, of utter lostness in the mind, in the body. We feel it physically. We feel it spiritually. We feel it psychologically. Death is a mighty, mighty blow. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most powerful emotions and one of the most powerful physical experiences that we can go to. So we can understand the condition that Mary was in. But what a transformation, church. What a transformation. In a moment, she goes from broken and despairing to rejoicing to embracing the one she thought she had lost forever. There's a message in there for us today, church, and I, I just want to take some time to, to go with you through this journey of what the resurrection means, not just for Mary, but for each one of us. Each one of us comes to that place where we feel utterly and completely lost. We, 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 we come to the end of whatever it is that, that we are capable of, or that whatever it is we put our hope in, we see it dashed before our eyes. We see the light go out, and we feel that there is, is just nothing but endless night in front of us. And then we hear the message, the message that Mary was the first to proclaim. He lives. He lives. He lives. The psalmist said of the Christ, you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life, and your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. What a promise. The resurrection is a, is a message of joy and pleasure. It is the, the reminder that life overcomes death. Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will be three nights and days in the heart of the earth. He promised he would rise again on the third day knowing full well of his approaching death on the cross. He warned his disciples repeatedly. When you read the Gospels, you see Jesus telling them he must go to Jerusalem, for it is not possible for a prophet to die except in Jerusalem. 
He tells them that he is going to be rejected, that he's going to be turned over to wicked men, and that he is going to be put to death. He rebukes Peter when Peter tells him it shouldn't be like that. He calls Peter his adversary for trying to talk him out of the path of the cross. Yet we know, thank God we know, the cross is not the end of the story. Now listen, we are right to focus on the cross, for it represents the great mysteries of atonement, the forgiveness of sins, and our justification, which are so important to our salvation. But understand that if the story had ended there, we would have no hope beyond this life. Our salvation would be meaningless, and we would be of all people the most miserable. Yes, the cross matters, for there God gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But how can we have everlasting life if the story ends there? How can we have hope in this life if this life is all that there is? You see that state of shock that we talked about with Mary, that state of confusion? The whole universe was sharing that shock with her. The cross of Christ rocked the very foundation of creation. The whole universe was holding its breath when the one that created it and sustained it hung between life and death. You feel the earth shake in shock and in pain as he cries from the cross, it is finished, and gives up his life. Every mountain and every molecule groans in torment as the very fate of creation hangs in the balance. The physical and spiritual are now intertwined in such a way as the fate of one becomes the fate of all. By taking on human flesh, the Son of God brought heaven and earth into alignment. It came the bridge between life and death between the temporal and the eternal, between hope and hopelessness, the cross. Oh, the cross where my Savior died, the old rugged cross so despised by the world, Calvary with its fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. The sinners plunged beneath its flood, lose all their guilty stains, Oh, Calvary, Calvary that covers it all would be a futile travesty if it is the end of the story. If it ends at Calvary, there's nothing to celebrate today, Christian. If it ends at Calvary, all is lost. But don't misunderstand, the cross was an end of a sort. It was the end of sin. It was the end of the old created order. It was the end of the rebellion against God's justice and his holiness. It was God's wrath, God's punishment upon Adam and all of his descendants. The cross was the end of all of those things. But for us, for us, church, the cross is a beginning. It's the beginning of a new creation a new order, a new humanity. For out of his death comes life. 
We are crucified with Christ, yet we live because he lives through us. Make no mistake, beloved. There can be no resurrection without a death. No knowing the power of his resurrection until you have shared in the fellowship of his sufferings. No new life until the old life perishes. This is a hard message, but it is what we must preach. Yes, we must die. We must allow our life to be intertwined with his on that cross if we are to hope to ever live again. The cross is his death and ours. His burial is our burial. We are baptized with him into death so that just like him we can be raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we should walk in newness of life, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also share in the likeness of his resurrection. The certainty of his resurrection is our hope. The testimony of the scriptures is clear. As the angel said to Mary, he is not there. He is risen. You know, I'm sharing this message with you from an empty church this morning. And to me, it looks like an empty tomb. It has the same characteristics. Devoid. All the furniture is in place. All of the furnishings are here, but it is devoid of life. So also is the grave. So also is the tomb. It is where we go to die. But praise God this morning, the tomb is now empty. He is not here. He is risen. God has loosed him from the pains of death and declared him to be the son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. He is the resurrection and the life, the prince of life, the way, the truth, and the life. He is life itself. And my friend, life triumphs over death. Life is greater than death. We do not see it this way sometimes. In this world, we still see the evidence of death. This world is still under the bondage of the fear of death. We see it all around us daily now. We get a count of those who have died from this virus. We are reminded of our mortality, reminded of the fragility of life in this mortal body. But I want you to understand that this is somewhat of an illusion. Death is only pretending to still control our fate. Death does not have control over us because its power has been broken by the eternal life of Jesus Christ. Don't buy the lie that death is the ultimate end. It is not. It is a trespasser, an enemy. It is soon to be removed once and for all from our experience because of what Jesus Christ has done. He has tasted death for everyone. He suffered and died as a man so that he might deliver all from the power of death. Now understand, Jesus did not take death lightly. He wept at the tomb of Lazarus. He grieved over the senseless waste that death represents. Death is the enemy. It is the sum of all that is rotten, ruined, and rebellious against God. 
It is anti-God and anti-life. It is darkness and chaos where there is only weeping and gnashing of teeth. It is the loss of hope, the loss of light, the loss of peace, the loss of love. It is eternal separation. It is evil and wicked and perverse. Death is malicious and malignant. But Christ, even knowing this, went willingly into its embrace. He gave himself over to its power, submitted to its authority and its cruelty, but he did so in order to destroy it. This is the lesson of the cross. The only way to defeat death is not by hiding from it or running from it, but it is from the inside. Christ was the ultimate Trojan horse, the seed buried in the ground that would use the very soil of its burial as the foundation of a new and everlasting life. Therefore, this day and the event we celebrate on this day matter more than any other. For it is on this day that we celebrate the victory of Jesus Christ over death. He lives. He lives. It is more than just a reminder of, of a holiday. He lives as the shout of victory, the roar of the crowd as the champion emerges from the battle with the enemy's head in his hands. He lives is the cry of hope as loved ones who thought all had been lost receive the good news of their beloved's rescue from the storm. He lives. It is the cry of relief of those who waited anxiously to see if the patient would survive the illness or the surgery. He lives. It is the shout of joy as the one in whom we have put all our faith and hope returns in power and glory. He lives. It is the message we bring to a lost and dying humanity, a world still living in the fear of death. It is the message of the church, the gospel of the kingdom, the good news of salvation. This is the testimony of Jesus Christ. He lives. Is what those to whom he presented himself alive after his suffering were united in declaring the reality of his life and his resurrection. Think of the boldness. Think of what they must have been convinced of to declare it in the face of the very ones who had sentenced him to death. They declared it in the very city that had cried, crucified him, and watched him die. They declared it in the presence of the people and the princes who lorded over him and put him on the cross. They declared it to the rich and to the poor, to the Jews and to the Gentiles, to the Greeks and to the barbarians, they went everywhere, into every town, into every country, every nation, every continent, declaring that God had done the unthinkable, the unprecedented, that he had raised Jesus Christ from the dead. They declared it in the face of accusation, in the face of doubt, in the face of enemies, in the face of scoffers, in the face of the philosophers and the scientists of their day. They did not back down. Nothing could dissuade them, not famines, not pestilences, not the sword or the fire or the imprisonment 
or even the lions they were thrown to. Nothing could dissuade them. Nothing could prevent them from declaring he lives. They had not only seen the risen Lord, but had been transformed by his life. The old ways of thinking and doing had been crucified. A new creation had begun, and they had been sent into all the world to subdue it with the gospel of the resurrection. If anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. This is the promise of the resurrection. Not just our future hope, but our present reality. The new life is not something to hope for after we die, but it is something we can now have through sharing in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin spread to all men, and so by one man's offense, death reigned over all, and by one man's disobedience, all were made sinners. So by one man's selfless sacrifice, one man's righteous act, grace and life are made available to all. Now this we know, that if we die with Christ, then we are free from the power of sin, for sin's power ends at death. So then we who have been made alive in Christ are free to live for God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do, who do not walk according to the flesh, that is, that which was put to death, that which was crucified, but walk according to the Spirit, that the Spirit of life that raised up Jesus can now dwell within those who have been raised with him. For if anyone does not have this spirit of Christ, then they are not his. And how can we have the spirit of Christ if Christ is not alive? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then has he not given you life? Has he not given you the life of Jesus to quicken your own mind and body? If you have confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe that God has raised him from the dead, are you not saved and the life of the Lord Jesus has now become one with yours? Is this not the gospel that saves? This gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, is this not the testimony of Peter and James and John and all of his apostles? Do they not tell us that he is the first fruits of those who have already fallen asleep, those who because of Adam's sin were made subject unto death, but now another Adam, a greater Adam, a second Adam is here, and he has risen from the dead. And in him, we have all been made alive again. This is the order. First, we are born of Adam, and so we must die as he died. But also, we are now born again of Christ. And we die as he died as well, but with one important difference. His death was not like Adam's. 
He did not die for his own sin, but for ours. Therefore, death could not hold him. He was delivered from the power of death, came out transformed, not just returned to mortal life, but immortal, no longer corruptible, but now incorruptible, no longer a man made of dust, but now the Lord glorified. So we shall be like him as he is now, so shall we become. If we share in his earthly life, we shall certainly share in his heavenly life. This is the key, my friends. Not that we should wait for the resurrection of the body, but that we should now live in the power of his resurrected spirit. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? He lives. He lives. This is more than just our hope. It is the promise. A promise of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Life, eternal, incorruptible, immortal, righteous, and holy is ours now and forevermore. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the hope, church. This day represents the greatest victory ever won. The last enemy, the ultimate enemy, has been defeated. Hell, the grave, death, sin have all been condemned in the body of Jesus Christ. In his life, he showed us how, his, how to live. In his death, he shows us how to die. And in his resurrection, we receive the new life, the life that will one day transform this mortal body into an immortal body. His resurrection is the promise of ours. Because he lives, we shall live also. And my friends today, my most sincere desire, my most sincere prayer today is that if that life does not live in you this day, it will become a reality in your life. I know there are many who believe in our Lord's resurrection, but unfortunately have never tasted of his death. Understand this. You cannot have his life without also experiencing his death. Jesus was clear about this. He did not mislead us. He said, if any man follow me, let him take up his cross. He made it very clear that to follow him meant follow him to the cross. He made it very clear that he was going there to die. I know we struggle with this sometimes. You, you see that depiction in the artworks or in the movies of that horrible scene at the cross. No, no, pastor, you say, that is not for me. He did that so I would not have to. No, no, my friend, there's no avoiding it. There's no avoiding it. You must be crucified with him. But rest in this assurance. Rest in this assurance. If you allow the Spirit of God to put to death those members which are of the earth, if you allow him to crucify your sin, your guilt, your shame, 
if you allow him to take away that mortal, that, 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 that rebellious and hard-hearted heart, that stiff neck, if you allow him to put to death all those things which you think are so important in this material realm, you have the certain promise, the certain assurance that you will be raised with him. Not just one day, but this day. New life will come into your body. New life, a new spirit will be born in you. A new hope. Your hope will no longer be in the politics of the time. Your hope will no longer be in the amassing of wealth. Your hope will no longer be in gaining power or fame or fortune. You will have a new hope. A hope, a hope in Jesus. A hope to live on in this world one that will carry you safely through all of the tribulations and all of the battles of this life and a hope that will deliver you into the everlasting life and presence of the Son of God. I'm here today to tell you He lives. I'm here to repeat the message of Mary Magdalene. I have met the Lord. I have seen Him. I know Him to be alive. What a message she was given to share. I am humbled. I am humbled by that scene of her clinging to the risen Christ and him saying, no, don't hold on to me this way. Let me go because I've got more, more, more people to deliver from death. I was one of those people. I am one of those people that he has delivered from the fear and power of death. The shadow that hangs over our life has been displaced by the light of the sun. We walk in new life today. As Mary went to tell those disciples, many of them were like us, like we are now. They were hiding in their homes. They were behind closed doors. They were afraid to go out. Oh, you know, this Easter is a lot like the first one. They weren't certain what would be waiting for them out there. They they knew that there were still people out there looking for Jesus' disciples. They were hiding. They were disconnected. They were in despair. They were defeated. I think of Peter running toward that tomb. What must have been in his mind just a couple of days earlier, he had denied even knowing the name of Jesus Christ. His failure, his, his fear had won. He had failed his Lord. Here he is rushing to the tomb to see for his own eyes that he was no longer there. I think of those disciples huddled together for fear, hiding, uncertain of what wait, was waiting for them on the other side of the cross. And to hear that knock at the door and to hear Mary Magdalene shouting the news of victory and joy, he lives, he's alive, He's alive. I have seen the risen Lord. What a moment that must have been. What a moment. They had to make a choice. They had to make a choice. Would they accept the word of this woman? Would they believe her testimony? It's incredible to think of what she was telling them. These were not ignorant people like some today want to pretend they knew very well that the dead did not rise. As a matter of fact, they were far more, far more 
acquainted with death than you and I could ever imagine. For them, in those days, there were no hospitals, no trauma centers, no ERs. There were no hospices. There were no places to put the folks who were dead or dying. The dead were there in their own homes, on the sides of their streets. The criminals were hanging from crosses up and down their roads as they traveled. They knew very well that death was, was, was final. They knew it was the end. They knew it with a certainty that you and I could never attain to. And yet here was this one lone voice, this woman knocking on the door, crying the good news, declaring he was alive. There's a moment when you hear this message where you have to make a choice. Dare you hope? Dare you believe? Dare you receive the testimony of those who tell you he lives? I'm so glad that they did, and I'm so glad that he came and showed himself to them. But you and I today, we have the same choice to make. We too live in a world of fear and doubt. We too live in a world where death, where every scientist and every philosopher will tell us there's nothing, there's nothing greater than death. But we have a message for this world. We have a message for mankind. He's alive. He lives. He lives forevermore. And I am so glad today that I have met the risen Lord and that I can testify like Mary and like those others that he is alive. And I pray for you today that you also may meet the risen Christ. If you have not already done so, he may come to live in your life, in your heart and mind. It will be painful at first, for his coming presence will put to death some things that need to die in you. But soon you will feel that life and that power of new life begin to fill every void, every empty space in your heart and mind. The life of Jesus, the glory of our resurrected Savior. Oh, Father God, oh, Lord Jesus, I pray for these on this call today. I pray for the ones who do not know yet the power of your resurrection, who do not yet believe in the living Christ. I pray even now where they are, God, in that very home, in that very place where they're hearing these words, that they will accept once and for all the reality, the reality of your death and resurrection. They will know that they must come to the cross and the empty tomb that they must renounce and repent, that they must give up the life of this world if they are to have the true life, the everlasting life, the eternal life. Oh God, remind them how much you love them. Remind them what you gave for them. Remind them that even though they're still sinners, you died for them. Let them look upon that cross today and let them know that that is not the end of the story that they can live again in Jesus Christ. I pray for these on the call today, God, who have heard that story and who have believed that story and who have made your life theirs. I pray that they will be emboldened today, energized today, filled with the spirit of life today, that they will go boldly into a world that's dying and declare the message he lives. I pray, God, 
for every family, every home that's listening here today. God, that you would fill that home this Easter morning, this Easter day, fill that home with the presence. Lord, if we had just kept reading a few more verses, we would have seen you come into the room where the disciples had gathered through a locked door. You came in. I pray once again your presence would come in to every home today in a very powerful and special way. Come into that home today. Let your glory fill that house. Let the glory of the resurrected life be ours, be our neighbors, be our friends, be our families. Oh God, I thank you for the hope of this resurrection. And I pray, God, today that as this circumstance run its course, as things begin to get back to normal, we will not lose sight of what it means to be witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. I ask your blessing upon each one today. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This has been a production of the Lighthouse Church of God. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. You are welcome to join us for service by calling 701-801-6266 every Sunday at 1045 a.m. For more information or to support our ministry, Visit our website at www.lhcogfl.org. God bless you. Until next time. This is the Lighthouse Church of God, lighting the way through the storms of life.